Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. This is Samantha. Say hi, Samantha. Yeah, so um, again, I'm Samantha. Um, I live in Arlington. Um, I love anything and all things uh, film. Um, I'm actually a um, theater professor. Oh, that's awesome. At Mountain View College in Dallas. So, um, yeah, that's just a little brief overview of uh, the life and times of Samantha. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love when we get someone on here that has, you know, that background in the arts and the fact that you teach it. That is so great. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely um, has been a passion of mine since since I can remember is was one of the first things that I found that I had an attachment to and that I could um, possibly turn that into a career. And I, I went ahead and followed through with it. And it's been the best decision I ever made. That is so great. I love that. Um, so, Samantha, what what movie are we talking about today? So today we're going to talk about one of my favorite genres genres which happens to be western and our focus film happens to be my favorite western rio bravo that is so awesome so how how old were you when you first saw this did you see it in theaters who are you with etc well i know i didn't see it in theaters um <laughs> so growing up my dad is a huge fan of westerns and so i would say that this film has almost been in just the collective consciousness of who I am. It, it was one of those, if dad was flipping channels and he found it on, well, this is what we're watching. And it became just the thing. Um, it didn't matter which Western, but this is one of the ones for me that really stuck out. It has such a great um, cast of characters that mm -hmm. something about it really stuck out for me. The first time I really remember sitting down and saying, this is a good movie this this is something I like. What What is this? It, it probably really wasn't until I was maybe 16 or 17 mm -hmm. that I made the conscious effort to say, oh, there are many things about this film that I like, but I can't recall the first time I saw it. Uh, that's awesome. Well, I, I, you know, actually for me, this is the first time I've ever seen it. <laughs> well, so, well, well, good. I, no, I hope yeah. you enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I really, really did. I, I found myself, I, you know, I watched the film and then I started researching it. And just those two experiences together, uh, just I found out so many fascinating things about this movie that I just couldn't wait to talk about it. So um, 
you know, I, I suggest everybody out there give it a shot if you haven't seen it yet. I know it's an extremely popular classic film, and it's just one of the ones I hadn't made it around to yet, but I'm so glad you picked this because I cannot wait to talk about it. Well, yeah, it's a great little film that just kind of sticks right right in there. It's it's a good, I hate to say this, but a good middle-of-the-road western. It's no, got I completely agree. It's got something for everyone. It really yeah, does. it has a little bit of something. So, Rio Bravo came out in 1959, and I am going to go ahead real quick and just read over the synopsis, and then we'll kind of jump in with some quick facts, etc., and, and yeah. So, here we go. The synopsis for Rio Bravo. When gunslinger Joe Burdett kills a man in a saloon, Sheriff John T. Chance arrests him with the aid of the town drunk, Dude. Before long, Burdett's brother, Nathan, comes around indicating that he's prepared to bust his brother out of jail if necessary. Chance decides to make a stand until reinforcements arrive. Enlisting Dude, an old cripple named Stumpy, and a baby-faced cowboy, Colorado Ryan, to help. End of synopsis. Um, I think that this that was a pretty good synopsis, actually. <laughs> Very yeah, succinct. you know, it's um, this is not one of those movies that is really hung up on its plot. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot of side quest, if you will. Um, it's very straightforward. Um, Joe Burdett kills a guy. His brother Nathan tries to get him out of jail, and he will use any means necessary to do that. And the sheriff has to keep Joe in jail. Yep. That's pretty much the synopsis right there. Yeah, I think, you know, and we'll dive into it a lot as we talk about it, but in some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that I was watching while I was researching this, it seems like, kind of like you mentioned earlier, it's the characters and then, like, these little moments in the film that just have nuance. I, I'm not surprised to hear that you really grew to appreciate it when you were 16 because I feel like you could enjoy watching this when you're younger, but to really get the the nuances of the character work in this movie, you know, you do have to be, I think, a little bit older. So I feel like it's a movie that probably grows with you, you know, the more you see yeah, it. Yeah, it's, you, you know, um, in doing some of my research and, and looking into things as well, um, I've discovered that this is one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite films. And yes. he sums it up in one of the best ways I've heard. He says that these characters are, they turn into your best friends. This is yeah. really a show about the buddy characters um, without being a cliche. It's not um, like a buddy cop story or, or something like that. It's just some great characters and some, some pretty good actors that really stretch themselves, that bring you all these great dimensions to what could be a a comical role of the town drunk dean martin does it play it comical he he plays it really really effortlessly and beautifully um you have ricky nelson this is his first big film and really his only film that had any accolades and this was a, a kid that was um basically the i don't know whatever the young heartthrob is, like a Justin Bieber of his time back mm -hmm. when the Bieber fever was going on. <laughs> and so all these great characters come forth and it really just drives this, this um, leisured pace um, movie forward. And, and I think, I think that that's one of the, just the great things of this film are these characters. Completely agree. Um, one of the other quick facts that I had about the movie was that the sets in old Tucson were built 7 eighth scale. So that's why the performers look a little bit larger than life. I thought that yeah, was it was it was one of those things that um, Howard Hawks went back and revisited this set 
a couple of times later when filming um, two follow-up films um, oh. because he enjoyed it so much. He liked that John Wayne, because John Wayne was already a pretty big guy. If mm -hmm. I remember correctly, um, I think he was 6'3 or 6'4. That may be false information, but he was tall. Mm -hmm. And so he just loved this looming John Wayne that he had on these sets. Um and I don't think it's any surprise that everyone that is cast alongside of him was um, quite a bit shorter <laughs> than, yeah. than John Wayne was. Mm -hmm. I also read that it's the last movie John Wayne wore the hat that he wore since Stagecoach. Uh, yep, it's the last one. That's really interesting. And he kind of he'd kind of moved away from westerns before this movie. I read. Um, but that a lot of his films hadn't been particularly successful or well received. So this, this film was kind of like a return for him. It was, um, and, and I kind of felt that because as someone that didn't grow up with as many Westerns, um, you know, I, I've seen a couple John Wayne films, but not a ton of them, but I did notice in this movie that, you know, he's older and that it, it seemed like he had some, some younger characters to kind of support him a little bit I don't know if, if you got that feeling too but it didn't surprise me that he had kind of come away and come back to it when I read that yeah he he had of course he started off his first big film um that he's recognized for was Stagecoach and that's considered mm -hmm. to be the first mainstream western um that oh. received success and so John Wayne um, was kind of pigeonholed into being this charismatic gunslinger. And um, he kept playing the same roles over and over again. And, of course, the fan base and Hollywood became tired of it. And even he became tired of it because after a while, you you, you grow bored of, of being the same character. And so... He did the um, Searchers, which is considered to be one of the best um, Westerns ever made. Um, and then he did four follow-up films that were bombs. And so he thought he was done as far as being the heroic um, lead in the Western. And then Howard Hawks was able to, to give him one last hurrah, if you will, of being the the lead sheriff, the lead man that everyone looks to. So this was really his, his, his swan song, if you will. This was his last time that really they, John Wayne was serious as still the lead, the love interest, the, the leader of this town. Everyone's looking to him. Of course, he still played pivotal roles in other films, but this was the this was the switch over from being young, fresh faced into middle aged, becoming an older man. Yeah, I could definitely see that about it. Um, you kind of mentioned him already, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Howard Hawks too. Uh, I haven't seen a bunch of his films. I'll, I'll admit that I have seen Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which I love. Um, but I had read that he's done kind of all different genres. Uh, he did westerns. Uh, you know, sci-fi, I guess romantic, like so many different films. And, uh, you know, just this one is probably one of his, his more popular ones. Yeah, you know, Howard Hawks was just a good storyteller. If something tickled his fancy, um, he would just latch onto it and he wanted to tell that story. Mm -hmm. So the genre, he was not really a genre director. Later on in life, he did direct mostly Westerns. Mm -hmm. um, and again, he teamed up quite a bit um, 
with John Wayne as well to tell these Westerns. But um, one of my favorite movies of Hawks, um, aside from Rio Bravo, is Bringing Up Baby. It's um, it's a, oh, Catherine Hepburn and, um, oh, goodness, I can see his face. Cary Grant. And they have a leopard, and that's Baby. And <laughs> it's a whole story about these two people and their pet leopard. So he would just tell any story that would that would you know ring true to him or or a story he wanted to hear or a story he wanted to tell. And I think it's kind of a shame that Howard Hawks is not a Hollywood icon name that you that you think of that people would go through and study and he would be someone that you would rattle right off the top of a of a line of favorite directors, but he really did make a lot of great films um, that have lasted um, the the time. He He's one of the Hollywood greatest, and for some reason, he just kind of got shuffled to the back. Yeah, you know, that's interesting you say that, because another one of the behind-the-scenes videos, and I'll, I'll post a link to it in the group and on Twitter and stuff, but I watched a, a behind-the-scenes where, or I guess not behind-the-scenes, but an interview with John Carpenter, actually kind of discussing this movie and just talking about how much he loved it. So I I guess he's not necessarily, like you said, something you rattle off right away, but it seems like among directors, you know, they really respect him and they really hearken back to, to his influence, you know? Yeah. Again, he was, he was such a great storyteller that I Mm -hmm. think that someone who enjoys movies, enjoys stories, they recognize that, and and there's something about it that resonates with them. Uh, I think John Carpenter is one of the most fantastic storytellers of the modern film era. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. You know, it, 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 you know, he's able to tell such an intricate story again without belaboring it. Mm-hmm. So it, he's he's really good at that. And I again, you can see some of those parallels of being inspired by Hawks and even some of his films. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to hit you over the head with information. He's going to let the story unfold and right. you take it in at your own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawks was all about pace. Yeah. Um, he, he was really one of the, really a pioneer of pace, letting something just happen without having to pull it or push it in any direction. I think that's also something that, as I've gotten older, I've really appreciated about Westerns in general, too. I kind of like that a lot of Westerns, at least the ones that I've seen, the pacing is a little bit slower. There's like tension building. Um, there's a lot of wide shots, you know, letting you kind of take in the atmosphere or the location that they're in. And I don't know, I just I really like that kind of that kind of pace. And so I think, like you said, what makes this such a good movie is that uh, Howard Hawks really understands that about the genre and, and, and also that it's part of the way that he would tell a story. Yeah, he was, he was really superb at that. He was also very good at um, letting his actors off the leash, as I like to say, let the actors live um, with their characters and really let them make choices. And again, without meddling too much with them. And I think Rio Bravo really, um, encapsulates that so well um, with Ricky Nelson. R- Ricky Nelson was a heartthrob. He was a big deal. He'd been from age nine. He'd been on um, Ozzy and Harriet, and he. This was his big breakout, and he was nervous, so nervous to be in this film. He'd never done anything like this, 
And there are moments you can see that in his mm-hmm. performance. Yeah. But Hawks didn't want to take that away from him. He didn't want to meddle with with that. So he just let Ricky Nelson live it and breathe it and see what would happen. And I just think that that's, again, such um, a testament to his storytelling that he's letting the actors make their own choices and to choose how they, they tell the story, to have such a hand in it just as much as he does. Yeah. So I have something kind of embarrassing to admit, <laughs> maybe showing <laughs> my age here. But um, so I did not recognize Ricky Nelson off the bat. Um I I have had heard the name and when I was reading, you know, through like his his hits, um I I know a lot of those songs, you know, I'm familiar with them, but I didn't mm-hmm. recognize him like visually. I didn't know that that was him. So like the whole movie at first because I didn't read about the I tried to read about the movie and then watch it, but I was like I think that's going to give me too much, I don't know, baggage. Like I want to experience the whole film and then research it because I think that's to me, that's like more fun. Um, but when I was watching the movie, the first thing that struck me about uh, Ricky Nelson's character, Colorado, is I could not get over how young he was. Um, it yeah, really he was a baby. Me. I mean, I, I, the, I was watching it with my husband and I said, he's 12. I mean, he's not 12, but I was just like, he's a kid. He's like a kid. Like, you're going to give this kid a gun? You know, it just, it really stood out to me how young he was. And then it made so much sense when I was, you know, reading, oh, it's Ricky Nelson. Like, that makes total sense why they would cast him in this role. And I had even read that Howard Hawks was like a little bit nervous about how young he was. That he was worried, you know, what if it's not believable? And it, it really does work in the movie very well. But it is an interesting choice because I feel like a lot of times in movies, even in older films, they'll call someone a kid and they're like, 20 to 25 you know what i mean yeah but in this movie i mean he's a baby he he turned 18 during them filming this so um he was super young uh yeah he was you know howard hawks took a pretty big gamble on ricky nelson um ricky nelson wasn't his first choice um he he went ahead and went with with ricky nelson but it was kind of a he thought it was going to be a crapshoot he wasn't sure what he was going to get and um you know it was one of those things Howard Hawk said once he once everybody settled down and settled into things, he he knew that Nelson was going to be fine. And um, he actually one of the a quote I, I found along my research um, said that, um, you know, we could have gotten some other actor to play um, Colorado, but um, having Ricky Nelson's name in the you know, top three billing probably added another $2 million to the film's success. So, um, because Ricky Nelson was huge. And Mm -hmm. he, um, we have a hard time in 2018 understanding the gravity of who Ricky Nelson was. This huge pop star who sold tons of records, who was on a hit television show and transitioning into movies and um, I think there was probably a lot of young girls, um, 14 to 20, that uh, went and saw their very first Western in the movie theater um, just to catch a glimpse of Ricky Nelson. Yeah, and I like that about the casting of this movie, too, that there's three characters at different ages. So there's kind of something for someone, for everyone to grab onto. And so I think, yeah, I think you're right. Ricky Nelson really pulls in that younger audience. And uh, I don't know if you had read this, but I'd read that uh, Johnny Cash actually wrote the song Restless Kid for him to sing in this movie. 
Um, and it pretty much sums up his character in the movie. But then the uh, music director insisted that he sing My Rifle, My Pony, and Me instead. And so Ricky didn't actually sing that song until his third album. Um, yeah, yeah um, Johnny Johnny Cash really wanted to have a hand in it. Um, but the composer, Dimitri um, Tompkin, yep. he he's a huge he was a pillar of of um, of, of a, being the, a Hollywood composer. Um, he really wanted Ricky Nelson to sing um, "Rifle Pony and Me" and "Cindy," and he was very persistent about it because Tompkin had written "Rifle Pony and Me," and he really just wanted that to be featured. And Tompkin was so sure. Uh, that it was going to um, be nominated for an Academy Award, and lo and behold, it was not. It was oh, one of his really? few original scores. Um, that song, My Rifle Pony and Me, and the Diguello, um, neither one of them were actually nominated that year. So 1959 was one of the few years that he actually wasn't nominated for an Academy Award. So I don't know what that says. Um <laughs> But uh, maybe we should have heard what Johnny Cash had to say, <laughs> but we'll never know. Yeah, well, I will say this. When you Google this movie or when you look it up on YouTube clips, I mean, the first thing that comes up is that song. Um, so, you know, I think even though it didn't win an award, it certainly is an iconic part of that movie. Uh, right. The, the the great thing about that song, which I think it's probably my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, and the reason why is it lets the audience Take a sit back a little bit, enjoy the deep breath that they're all taking this moment of security, this moment of togetherness, this moment of friendship, and it lets the audience have share that moment with them. And so I I definitely understand the the song being there and also the dude with with wrestling his demons of being a drunkard, he gets to have this song of of talking about this is what it's like to be um, a cowboy that has struggled for so long, but I'm about to hang up my sombrero and um, it's just my rifle pony and me of having this moment of coming back full circle of what his normal should be. So mm -hmm. it's one of my absolute favorite parts of the film. So, you know, I, again, I would like to see what would have happened with the Johnny Cash song, but um, you know, I don't know, would it change my favorite part of the movie? <laughs> yeah, it's something interesting to think about. There's a parallel universe somewhere where it is the other choice. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, the last thing that I had that I was going to say about Ricky Nelson, you know, it's interesting with it. We mentioned earlier that uh, Quentin Tarantino is such a fan because he actually used Ricky's song Lonesome Town in Pulp Fiction. And, yes. had, you know, yeah. so that's kind of an interesting callback that must have been really fun for him to kind of go back and, and use some of those influences, which, you know, he does that in all his movies. He uses mm -hmm. his, his greatest influences. They're always like homages, but I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Quentin Tarantino also has said that he loves that good um, pop sound from the fifties and sixties. And if mm -hmm. you've ever watched a Quentin Tarantino film, you definitely know that it's true. So I don't think it's any surprise that he would, use uh, or select a, a Ricky Nelson song. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about Dean Martin too, uh, and his character, uh, dude or the drunk. Um, I, I think that's my favorite character in the movie, to be honest with you. 
I just really like the way Dean Martin plays it with so much nuance. I, I could introduce our audience to Dean Martin, but I probably don't have to do that. <laughs> so we could probably, <laughs> you know, part of the Rat Pack, Martin Lewis, Ocean's Eleven, you guys get it. But um, let's let's talk a little bit about his character in the movie. What about you? Is he kind of one of your highlights for the film? He he's he's my favorite character in the in the film. Um, he's he's my favorite as well. So. Um, this is an interesting time for Dean Martin, um, as far as 1959 goes. So Dean Martin had been making all these buddy comedies with Jerry Lewis, mm -hmm. and he is finally breaking away from Jerry Lewis. He's got him a little lounge act in, in, in um, Las Vegas. He's being typical Dean Martin. He's doing other movies, of course. Um, and he's a bona fide movie star, but... He's really just now in 1959 starting to take on these roles that are more than just um, Jerry Lewis's friend or D or um, Frank Sinatra's friend. Mm -hmm. So this is really quite interesting at a time for Dean Martin to jump into this role. And I think he handles it beautifully. It's so subtly done. He never pushes it. He just lets it happen. Um, he almost all of the up close shots in this film um, revolve around Dean Martin. It's yeah. it's shot pretty wide open, and all of the subtlety of the up close shots revolve around Dean Martin's character, and he plays that um, dejected drunk so perfectly that um, you can't feel but you can't feel sorry for him. you just you, your heart goes out to him and you feel that empathy for him and you you want to know what happens to the dude when the movie is over mm -hmm. I think it's very compassionate the way that the the dude is treated because a lot of times in cinema especially in earlier cinema I don't think that they were very forgiving about alcoholism you know what I mean it, they didn't treat it like I don't know, an, an affliction so much as something terrible you did. And I feel like in this movie, even though uh, John Wayne's character, you know, he's kind of a little hard-lined on him a lot, it's almost like he, he's just encouraging him to make his own decision. But I feel that, like you said, his uh, performance is so subtle and so rich and you're so concerned with the character. I just, I don't know, that really st struck me as a, a different portrayal of a drunk that I'm, I'm kind of like used to seeing. In, yeah, in to go back to one of the first original westerns or the the mainstream western of Stagecoach, we see a character of a drunk, and of course it's played big, it's over the top, it's sloppy, it's loud, and that can be a drunk, and and I've seen sure. those drunks. <laughs> we but, all have. <laughs> right, yeah, um, but but this is a different kind of drunk. This is someone who has been in complete and sheer desperation that they have lost their control mm -hmm. um, over this affliction. And it's no longer allowed ha 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 sloppy slapstick drunk. It's now this is ruining this person's life. Mm -hmm. And Dean Martin could easily play it over the top silly because we all know he has that capability, <laughs> but he doesn't. He, mm -hmm. he plays it in the dire circumstance that we meet dude in I mean, that he's the catalyst for Joe Burdett being in jail is he, they get into a bar fight over dudes drinking. Right. Joe throws the 
um, silver dollar in the spittoon and Dean Martin goes digging for it. And the, the other guy tries to stop Joe Burdett cause he thinks it's wrong and Joe Burdett shoots him for it. So there's automatically this level of guilt and atonement that we see w with the dude's character from the start, knowing he is the catalyst of this story. So I just, it's one of those I think that Dean Martin's portrayal of the dude just really um, is something, for lack of a better word, spectacular. It's one of my favorite roles ever. Yeah, it's it's really good. And I think it's even, you know, a little bit ahead of its time. It, the way that he was playing it reminded me of maybe how our performance would be that I would expect from a movie like in the 70s, you know, where mm -hmm. um, it, it became more about the actor and, you know, you had all these close shots and uh, more about the dialogue and more about what they're thinking and feeling. Um, whereas a lot of older movies, you know, it's typically not like that. It's a little bit more, you know, theatrical, I guess, for lack of a better word. But um, I really like that about his performance, too. I think it adds so much heart to the movie. And it also, I think, really helps build up John Wayne's character, too, because... I mean, you just see what a good friend he is, how compassionate he is. And, you know, I just think it, it really gives it. It has a lot to say about his character and who he is as well in the movie. Mm -hmm. But um, let's see. I think the last person I want to kind of talk about before we pick out some specific scenes would be uh, Angie Dickinson, who plays Feathers in the movie. Um, you know, for some of our younger listeners, she was from... Ocean's Eleven, and then a show called, was it Police Woman? Is that right? Police Woman, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what she was kind of most famously known for. But uh, I love her character in this movie. I think she brings a lot to the table as the, the love interest, but also just kind of as, uh, you know, she, she doesn't have the standard role that I'm expecting from a woman in a Western, especially back then. She's kind of a little bit more uh, independent and feisty and... I just think I, I love the way she keeps inserting herself kind of into the story as she starts to fall for John Wayne's character and how she ends up being such a big part of the crew towards the end. Yeah, you know, she, she's a classic example of a foil character. Mm -hmm. She is set up to antagonize John's, John Wayne's character right. throughout the entire film. And they pick at each other. Um, but it's very realistic. It's not, again, it's not over the top. She doesn't, she doesn't have to push it. Um, it's, it's very, um, anyone who's been in a long-term relationship, it's just the things that you do to pick at each other. And even though this isn't a long-term relationship, it just seems very natural um, and very fluid. And she's really not the damsel in distress that we see in Westerns a lot. Right. She is her, like you said, she's a very independent woman. She happened to be on a stagecoach. The stagecoach broke down. Now she's in this town and she finds herself being attached to these characters. It's not the woman that needs saving. She just happens to be there. Yeah, in fact, and so I find it very scene. interesting um, of the character of Feathers that she's a gambler and she tells um, John Chance that she's not going to stop gambling. Mm -hmm. He, he kind of tells her, well, you know, you could, if you don't want to be arrested, you you don't have to, you can give up gambling. And she says, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to keep that. gambling. That's that's what I do. That's what I'm good at. That's my livelihood. I'm not going to stop 
I'm not going to change for you. And so I think it really is an interesting character arc um, that it's not a, an atypical character or not atypical character. Um, she's she really stands on her own. Um, mm-hmm. Angie Dickinson and the character of Feathers. So it really um, is a great um, little uh, foil character for John Wayne. And also Angie Dickinson was only 26. This was also one of her first big roles. Oh. And so I really have to give it up to her to be able to go toe to toe with John Wayne at the time, the greatest American movie star. Um and here she is holding her own and, and making John Wayne um, work it out. Yeah. I You know, when I was watching the movie, I was kind of trying to decide how old she was because, I, you know, she's almost, I mean, I think she's playing the age pretty close to the actual age she is. But she's so mm-hmm. mature in the movie and so quick-witted. And, and like you said, on his level, she seems seasoned. So it was like I, I was trying to decide I be I feel like she's an old twenty six, you know, because she's just so, she's just so on his level, like you're saying. He's he's she's she's a good foil for him. Yeah, when when John Wayne first started shooting this with Angie Dickinson, he was very nervous because he felt uncomfortable about their age difference. Just mm-hmm. him and him and her, not the character speaking, but he really didn't know, you know, how it was going to play out. And once he met her and they got into some scene work and really started, you know, moving and grooving, so to say, um, you know, he, he basically was, was instantly at ease with her. And there is, it's, it is odd because there is a pretty big age gap between the two of them, but their romance doesn't seem odd. And because it's not your typical, romance so Mm -hmm. he has to work for it she has to work for it and we we get happy we're we're happy for them um in the end that they're their little um strange dynamic of a relationship um is working out well yeah and I, i think too in this movie you get the feeling that a lot of the relationships between all the characters is a little bit situational because you know they're in this strange situation where you know, he has to get this guy, he's shorthanded, he has to kind of use anyone he can, and so he has a ragtag team already with Stumpy and Dude, and so even though she is kind of an odd choice for him, um, you know, she's sort of stuck at this little town at this hotel. I mean, she could leave, but it's just a tense situation, and I think that kind of makes their relationship seem more believable, you know? Right. Yeah, that she's there as a as a confidant to him, even that he can, he can talk to her about some things that are bothering him that he can't tell Stumpy or Dude because he needs Stumpy and Dude to be focused on different things, and so he's able to let his guard down. Another character he's able to let his guard down with is Carlos, um, mm-hmm. the guy who owns the 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 hotel. So a lot of that dynamic um, with with able to have the confidants um, being Feathers and and Carlos, it's 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 nice for him to be able to to have that relief. And so I think that's another part of that dynamic shift of feathers and, um, John T. Yeah. I, I think that also makes him really endear his character, uh, John Wayne, his characters, uh, it makes it endearing to the audience too, because he's so involved personally. Like a lot of times with sheriffs in movies, it's kind of like, he's like, settle down folks, you know, I, I, I'll handle this, but he's very 
intimately like uh, involved in their lives and close to them. It, it feels more personal in this movie to me than in some other Westerns. Yeah, it's really interesting because even though we start our story um, kind of hurtled in with this murder and this bar, what we grow to understand through the story is John T. is a well-beloved person in this town because many people in the town want to come to his aid. Mm -hmm. um, Carlos wants to help him as much as possible. Um, we we learn, even though there's not a lot of scenes with Carlos, we learn that Carlos and John T. must have a pretty close connection or, or must be friends of, of some sort. And all, and Mr. Wheeler that comes to town, he, he wants to help John T. So we get this idea that the sheriff is a fairly lovable guy mm -hmm. in this town. And a lot of people respect him and would want to help him um that we get this this um level of friendship even though we as the audience are not even directly involved we're just onlookers and yet we we get the the feel of friendship and we get that camaraderie that you would feel being there with these people and with john wayne's character there um in this tiny texas town yeah completely agree well on that note um, I know we've talked about a couple of scenes already. Are there a couple of favorite scenes you have from this movie that we haven't touched on yet? Um, you know, I really love the opening sequence. This, yeah. um, you know, Howard Hawks, there's not a, if you, if we go from the beginning titles all the way through, um, it's four minutes and change before dialogue is even spoken. Mm -hmm. And so Howard Hawks is setting up the story for you again, without having to, tell it to you and so there's this really great opening sequence of dean martin um skulking into this bar um knowing craving writhing even for this drink and he comes in and joe burdett who we instantly understand is not going to be a great guy um you know starts messing with him and he throws the silver dollar into the spittoon and dean martin's character goes digging around in the spittoon for it and John Wayne stops him, you know, basically saying, enough's enough. You you are not going to start digging through spittoons to find money right. to buy your drinks. And um, through a course of events, um, an innocent bystander gets killed by Joe Burdett. And Dean Martin's character suddenly has this realization of what he's done and what he's doing and that um, he now knows that he has to walk the straight and narrow to, again, have this atonement, if you will, for this loss of life for the, the guy that got killed in the bar. So I just really love that sequence because it sets everything up. But there's so much that happens in it as well from um, the story standpoint, from a character standpoint, um, as an audience standpoint. Like you get it instantly. You understand who the good guys are. You understand who the bad guys are. You understand what the conflict is, and you're ready for the ride. You're right, and it doesn't feel rushed. Like, four minutes doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it doesn't move super fast, you know? You have time to kind of take in little details and, and, and understand, and then the rest of the movie, like you said, builds on that. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite sequences. Yeah. Um, and I know I also said I love the my rifle, my pony, and me. Mm -hmm. Just as that good deep breath 
before we before the dude gets captured by the bad guys. Uh, we know that the sh other shoe is going to drop, so to say. And so we kind of get to have this nice relaxed moment to, to breathe in before the next frightening thing happens. So I think, I think those are the two that stick out the most for me, as far as my favorite scenes. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the scene too, with feathers where uh, she misses the, the departure, um, you know, Carlos was supposed to put her back on the, uh, on the train, but she gives him that black eye and, <laughs> and then there's that scene where she's drinking with, uh, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I thought that scene was pretty good too. Cause I, I yeah, she's, you know, I, I, I agree. I think, I think there's a lot of, it kind of gives us a little bit of comic bits again, without being over the top silly. Mm -hmm. It also lets you know a little bit more about feathers where her mindset is of knowing that she, she even says, Oh yeah, I'm so big and bad. I, I threw a flower pot out of a window. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a funny little line and it's, it's, but it's so somber at the same time because she follows it up with, and I helped get three men killed, or was it four? And so she, you kind of, ha, 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 oh, wait, that's really, that, that's not funny at all. But the way that she sets it up, it, it's, it's, it gives you such an insight to her psyche, the, the, her feather psyche of what she's thinking as she's working the processes through. So I really find feathers in that particular scene, very fascinating and poor Colorado can do nothing, but just keep handing her drinks because he has <laughs> no idea how to deal with her. Yeah. She's a bit. Much <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And then I also like pretty much all the, the action scenes, um, you know, the shootouts, I thought build a lot of tension very well. I, it's, I mean, it's the first time I've ever seen it. So when I'm watching it, I wasn't really sure what was going to happen next, and it was pretty exciting. Uh, I thought that uh, for a movie that does have kind of a slow pace, when you do have action, there's a lot of payoff. Yeah, there's this huge, big, bombastic um, explosion at yeah. the end that <laughs> that you, honestly, you weren't expecting. You knew something was going to have to happen, but you didn't know that it was going to include dynamite. So um, it, you're right. There's definitely this great, um, you know, this kind of a, a lull and, and Howard Hawks gives you that deep breath. And then suddenly he punches you in the gut, these little bursts of, of action that you get or, or a little burst of gunfighting. Um, there's that great scene of um, uh, uh, Wheeler gets shot in the street and a, the guy who kills him runs into the barn and John Wayne goes after him. And um, the guy comes bursting out of the barn and, and Dean Martin clips him and he runs in the bar and they're looking for him because they know the guy ran into the bar. They know he stepped in a puddle. They know he should be bleeding and they can't find anyone in the bar that matches the, the description. And they're about to give up. And Dean Martin notices that there's blood dripping onto a cup uh, mm -hmm. uh, or a beer mug on the counter and he takes a couple of steps away and he says you know what I think I will take that drink now and you and the audience know what's up but you can feel everyone in the room saying oh no don't go back to the bottle don't go drinking and he turns around and he's just this great little 
pop of action of of getting the guy shooting the guy in the loft and the guy falling down to the floor in this big you know crash down and so it's so great that Howard Hawk slows everything down he lets you see the mug on the table Dean Martin takes a couple of steps nothing you don't think anything's going to come of it and then bam there it is and I feel like all the action sequence do that there's this little breath that Howard Hawks gives you and then he punches you in the gut. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Well, um, are there any other scenes that you kind of wanted to, to go over from this film? You know, I just, you know, I talked about the scenes that stick out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one of those great films that each scene just rolls right into the next. And each scene is, is just... It's just as important as the next, and there's something to take out of each scene that um, it's it's hard to nail down saying this is the best scene or this is, you know, the, the scene that's better than, than another, just because each one is, is so reliant on, on each other. So it's, you know, it's just kind of interesting um, with all the different subtle, like, uh, the subtle nuances that happen in each scene. So, you know, like I said, the the opening scene, My Rifle, My Pony, and Me, those are my go-to standout scenes. Um, but I just enjoy this whole story. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I, I'm, I'm converted <laughs> after one day. <laughs> I definitely, I actually rented it. And then, you know, it's always easier when I own a movie than when I rent for these uh, podcast episodes because then I can watch, like, every extra. But I rented <laughs> it at first, and, you know, I looked up some some behind-the-scenes stuff on YouTube, but I definitely want to own it now because I just... It was one of those things where I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but the more I thought about it afterward and the more I was researching about it, I started to like it more, you know? And so, yeah, I, I, I want to go back and revisit it for sure. And it's such a... I feel like it's such a good time capsule of a movie too because like you said, you've got Ricky Nelson, Dean Martin, and John Wayne. I mean, it's just kind of... I mean, that's just kind of a really cool movie to, to look back on, especially for, for someone like me that didn't grow up with it or, or have, you know, any connection to that era. But, you know, this is kind of like a little piece of that era, I think. So. Yeah, it's a slice of Americana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is... Rio Bravo is actually considered to be one of the last Hollywood classics. This is 1959. We're on the cusp of the 60s. Movie making is about to change drastically. Um, And so this is is one of the last Hollywood icons, the last Hollywood classic film. So it's it's neat that it's it's its own little um, you said it best, its own little time capsule. It it holds its own. It's still a good film to this day, but it's a different um, it's a different film than we're used to today. It's a different way that we told stories. And so it still has that classic movie feel, but at the same time, it has something that's a bit more modern and something that would appeal to someone um, in 2018. That that you could recommend this movie and say no, this is this is a good movie. You'll you'll enjoy it. And everyone I've ever recommended it to, they come back and they're almost irritated with how much they liked it. They're like <laughs> I enjoyed that. I liked it so much. I don't know what it is about it, but I just like that movie. And it's just it's one of those. It's 
there's something about the simplicity of it mm-hmm. that's not overly complicated, but it's so subtly done and the characters are so believable and the characters are so lovable. Um, old Stumpy, you gotta love Stumpy. Oh, um, yeah. He's like right? a... They're just, just a, a band of great characters. So it's just something that resonates. There's something about the story and the characters and the settings that just resonates and you can't you can't get away from it yeah i was thinking when i watched it um have you seen that movie hail caesar the cone yes i love it me too but did you feel that i mean and of course this is probably obvious to you someone who's seen it a lot and not to me but uh the character of like hobie and the little clip from the movie where he's singing it it reminded me a lot of the yeah, you know yeah. the singing cowboy. You know that was a that was a huge um, um, Hollywood device, mm-hmm. and so I I find it interesting that Howard Hawks would use it, but he does it in a different way. It's not yes. your iconic riding off into the sunset um, cowboy uh, with a with a guitar. It's these guys actually like comforting themselves. So he's using the same mechanism but just in a different way he he's he's using it almost as their comfort as their blanket so to say that they're all these friends are holed up in the jail and all they have right now are each other and um the song really encapsulates that so the singing cowboy um you know howard hawks brings it full circle he'll say yeah i'll give you a a singing cowboy but it's going to be under a completely different circumstance it's going to be my rules is going to be different, but there is that great parallel that um, a lot of newer movies have with this, the persona of the singing cowboy and the persona of these characters in Rio Bravo. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find it very interesting of modern Westerns or modern takes on a Western still, this film still resonates with that as well. So, it's interesting to see that even in, um, oh, what's the one with Jamie Foxx? Why is it escaping my brain? Oh, that Quentin uh, Tarantino did. Oh my gosh. No. Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That, there's a lot of great, beautiful long shots that mimic those long shots in Rio Bravo. And again, um, Christoph Waltz being, in a way, a stumpy type character. Mm-hmm. This character who's the most lovable character, but is just ridiculous and over the top, but never pushes it too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just far enough, yeah. just far enough. So you could, you could, you could do a, a, an analysis of that all day long of, of, of um, seeing the resemblance of this film, Rio Bravo in um, Quentin Tarantino's work. Yeah, and in a lot of films, I think, are, you know, people oh, yeah. who are inspired by them. Yeah, I think one of the things I really love about Westerns in general is that, like, you're talking about those long shots. You really feel like the landscape is also a character. It's a big part of the movie. And I, I've always liked films that include the location as almost like a character, you know. Um, so I, I really like that about it, too. Uh I'm, I think I'm going to throw my couple last questions at you then. Uh, okay. What what keeps you coming back to this movie? Why have you seen it so many times? Well, um, you know, I think it's this band of characters that um, I've grown to to love them. They, they stick with me. 
Um, even though you start the movie over and you you know them, it's it's almost like you're going back and revisiting these people that you've grown to to know and that you've grown to love. And um, it's like a good it's like a good hangout film. That's actually mm-hmm. one of the things that Quentin Tarantino said. It's just a hangout film. You're hanging out with your buddies. These characters become your buddies, and you just hang out. And it's again a very leisure pace. And you just enjoy it. You let the movie unfold. And um, I I watch this one on the regular. I probably watch this movie about once a month, maybe once every two months. Oh, wow. Um, and for me, that's, that's awesome. a pretty heavy rotation. Yeah. I only have about four other films that stay that high in the rotation. And it's just a feel-good film. Um, it is feel-good. I agree. It's a feel-good film. It, it really is. You just, if you're not, if you're having a bad day, you know what'll cheer me up? Ricky Nelson. I'm gonna <laughs> rock, watch Rio Bravo. Um, you know what'll fill me? You know, make me feel better is just John Wayne being John Wayne and just existing for the time and place and and enjoying that. Um, I think this is one of my favorite John Wayne roles that he. Um, I, I feel sorry for the guy because he got pigeonholed as the you know America's cowboy and he may not have always wanted that but it's just great to see him comfortable and and live in this character and you can see him have the connections with all of his fellow co-stars um you know he's very comfortable in scenes with Dean Martin he's very comfortable with scenes with Angie Dickinson mm-hmm. and so it's great to just go and be entertained for 2 hours and just let the story envelop me I'm curious now, what are the other four films that you see often? Um, one would be The Big Lebowski, oh, uh, another be... <laughs> dude. I, I, I'm obsessed with it. Um, it's one of my all-time favorites. Um, I've probably seen that one more than any other strange, but it's... it's... Not at all. I mean, that, well, that is a well, just classic. It couldn't be on two opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way that but... movie's kind of making fun of westerns almost, or, you know, yeah, it's a modern the day. Yeah, it's the antithesis of a Western. But um, just, it, again, it's a great character movie. It is, That's yeah. Full beautiful characters from John Goodman, Walter Sobchak to to Steve Buscemi, um, John Totoro. I mean, it's just, it's such, it's, it's great fun. And it's these great over-the-top characters. And I just love a, a movie that has crazy characters in it. Um, so what is that? So that's two. Another one would be... Disney Sword in the Stone because I'm an adult Aww. and I, <laughs> I love that Disney movie Sword in the Stone whenever I want to. It was <laughs> my go-to childhood movie if I was homesick or um I don't know what it is about that particular one, but it's again hanging out with my favorite childhood characters um Sword in the Stone. And then another one that I watch pretty often would be Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Again, the antithesis of everything we've talked about. Um, <laughs> but again, it's good character development, a good yeah. character, uh, a good show, a good movie with, with great characters. These over-the-top, ridiculous characters, but at the same time rooted in reality as absurd as um, Edgar White can, can get. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, I think that's that's really good. I, I like those answers. Well... What would you say to someone that's never seen this movie before? How do, how do you pitch it? Well, I, that's that's really a tough question. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this question for a while. Um, it's one of those that 
I tell people that when someone rolls their eyes when I say, oh, one of my favorite genres, westerns, and I get the eye roll, it's usually because they grew up in a house very similar to, to what I did, or they grew up watching a lot of westerns. You know, any time that my dad was flipping channels and there was a John Wayne movie on, he would just scream in the house like, John Wayne's on, you got to come in here and watch it. We're all watching John Wayne. Get in here. And so <laughs> there's this kind of groan of of having been forced to watch it and not really ob- observing it for what it is. So I kind of tell everyone, like, you got to give Westerns a chance. And the great place to jump in, I feel, is Rio Bravo. Mm-hmm. Because... As I said before, it has a little bit of something for everyone. There's gunfights. There's romance. There's um, great American movie stars at this time. Um, it has these great has great music in it. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things that anyone can walk away from. Wa- have watched it. Have watching it and say. Yeah, you're right. This was a a good a good movie. It may not be their favorite, but they can definitely take something from it. And so I always tell everyone, especially when I hear the groan of the western, because um, for some reason it's it's fallen on an unpopular um, note as of as of late. I have found, and so it's one of those of you know, yeah. There's a lot of shoot 'em ups, but. This one, this one stands the test, the test of time, and give it a shot. Let the story unfold. Get to know these characters, and I I promise you that you won't be disappointed. Well, I think that's a perfect pitch, and I did have a thought on the western thing. I have, I have a theory. So I, I was the same as you. I was raised to watch westerns constantly. My dad had them just playing on the TV a lot. And I kind of thought, oh, these are dad movies, you know, like there's nothing in this for me. And I think part of that was, you know, most of the movies are older. There's not a ton of Westerns like in the 80s and 90s, right? I mean, there's like Tombstone. Yeah, you know, we get we get some yeah. Clint Eastwood films in the 80s um, as far as um Westerns go. Yeah, it, really, it, it Yeah, it really dropped off. It you know, a Western was kind of a an all-American ideal. And with the change of the 1960s, we start to get into um more of the war genre. We wanted to tell you what was wrong with Vietnam. And also, one of the things that Westerns aren't um, very good at, they're not very um, culturally sensitive. So uh, yeah, we true. have this whole <laughs> idea of the cliche of cowboys and Indians. And so the idea of that is also starting to shift, that we really don't want to see the white man roaming across the plain looking to shoot Native Americans. Yeah, of um, and I understand that. Yeah. Um, and so I can see where the fall off is coming from uh, almost a backlash, if you will, of um, the the ideal of this cowboy and Indians motif that I was even, um, I'm old enough that that was still a very popular motif when I was uh, a little kid, was the idea of dress up cowboys and Indians. Um, that has really faded uh, away, 
so it's it's weird that the the genre has um, it needed to evolve, and I think that it hasn't quite found the new footing for what it should be now. So it's it's interesting that this um, idea of the western um, is ever changing and evolving. I'm sure that it will find a new route. Mm-hmm. It always does. Yeah, it's just fallen off as, uh, of late and i think i don't th- it may be down but it's definitely not out mm-hmm. we'll we'll see pieces of it always i um, agree yeah. resonate well um thank you again so much for for coming on the show i'm so glad you picked this movie i i think it's our first western i don't think i've i don't think we've done a western yet so that's really cool well yahoo that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, and so to pick such a good one, I bet there's someone down the line that's gonna say, "Can we do Rio Bravo?" And I'm gonna be like, "No, it's taken. <laughs> We've already done that one. <laughs> Go listen to it." Uh, but yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I uh, do you have any like social media or anything that you want to plug or, or you know places people can find you or anything like that? No, you know, I I, I mean, I have my just my regular old Facebook page. Um, <laughs> I work around town in DFW. If you really just have a burning desire to want to sit down and chit chat movies with me, you can <laughs> find me at Mountain View College or Theater Three Dallas. Um, apart from that, nothing really. No problem. No problem. Well, um, thank you so much for coming back on, and you're gonna have to pick another movie and come back eventually because I I really appreciated all the detail that you have, and it was just a great discussion because I do think that because I hadn't seen this movie before and I don't think I've seen a ton of movies around this time I really feel like I got I got an education tonight so thank you oh well you're very welcome it's my pleasure I enjoyed it immensely great well thank you so much and and have a good evening Alrighty, you too Bye. bye Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I had a really fun time discussing this movie with Samantha, as well as watching and researching this film. Um, I did want to mention really quick that we recorded this episode before Uma Thurman released her statement on Harvey Weinstein and Quentin Tarantino. So I wanted you guys to know that I do take that very seriously. And while I enjoy a lot of his work, I'm really shocked and just saddened, honestly, by what I heard. And uh, I considered removing those parts of this discussion where we praised his work. And I actually did edit a couple clips out. But uh, I wanted to be transparent with you guys about that. And I do think that Tarantino gaining inspiration from this movie is part of movie history and therefore still worth discussing. I think that this idea that directors can push actors to whatever means necessary to get a shot is just wrong. And it really upsets me that some of my favorite filmmakers have done that in the past. Um, I don't condone that at all, and I want you guys to know that, and and I definitely want things to change. Um, I try to keep the show pretty free from delving too far into my personal political beliefs, but I just felt like this was an exception because it was clearly so wrong. Um, so I wanted to just be honest about that with y'all. Anyway, uh, if you guys have any feedback on this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay, on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa, and in our closed Facebook group, I Love That Movie. 
Our group is closed, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment-free. My only rule is keep it positive. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Uh, once I get to 30 reviews, I'm going to draw a name. Uh, we've already drawn once at 15, so our next drawing is at 30, so leave one today. Uh, thank you so much again, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. Bye.